If, like me, you attended a Catholic elementary school in the late 1960s, then your memories of the Feast of Christ the King probably included lots of marching. We would line up, boys on one side and girls on the other, led by our battalion commander, Sister Mary Alma, and we would march from the schoolyard into the church, singing some sort of martial hymn, proclaiming ourselves soldiers of Christ, following the cross, ready to storm the ramparts of evil. It was pretty rousing stuff in the second grade. Back then, we knew what a king was because we were still pretty close to fairy tales and storybooks. But even then, because we didn't actually have a king, in fact, since our country was founded in opposition to a king, we knew that this was metaphorical. And as we grew up, that metaphor sometimes became a little problematic for us. For many years, this triumphalistic king in battle was the sort of king that a lot of people associated with this feast day, I suspect. Christ the King was one of the most triumphalistic feasts of the church's year, with lots of talk of thrones and dominion and majesty and power. You can hear some of that even in our first reading today from the prophet Daniel and in Psalm 23, our psalm of the day, and in our reading from the book of Revelation, that was our second reading. These bits of apocalyptic literature, though, need to be understood from the perspective of their original readers, because they were written to communities that were being persecuted, and they were meant to inspire hope that the unjust earthly rulers would be supplanted by a more powerful king, our God, who would come to establish a reign of justice. Outside of that context, apocalyptic literature is either nonsensical or it inspires fear and paranoia. But in all this apocalyptic stuff, the king is the one who exercises power and absolute authority. And it's exercised for good and for justice, but it's still the almighty king. Given all of that, doesn't today's gospel just stop you dead in your tracks? In the midst of all of this power and glory, we find ourselves transported to some alternate universe where Jesus stands before Pilate and declares, my kingdom is not of this world. Pilate, who is the de facto king in this scene, is confused and frustrated and watches his authority evaporate before his eyes. Jesus is the accused criminal, and his crime is to make himself a king, which challenges the authority of the ruling king and invites death. And here stands Jesus, calm and self-assured. Somehow, the king and the criminal have changed places in this scene. This reads like one of the parables, the way it overturns our expectations of how the story is going to go. All three of the Gospels for this feast day function this way. In year A, which we heard last year, we have the judgment scene from Matthew 25, where the king separates the sheep from the goats. The ones welcomed into heaven are the ones who recognized their king 
in the hungry and the thirsty, the refugees and those in prison. In year C, which we'll get next year, the gospel is Luke's scene of Christ on the cross with a sign over his head saying, this is your king. These gospels shatter our image of the king who lives in the castle, exercising absolute authority over his subjects. And what it leaves us is the king who sacrifices, who lives in the poor and the rejected, whose highest value is the truth, and who lays down his life for us. That does not leave much room for triumphalism or imperialism or even for much hierarchical authority. There is reason for us to be concerned today because there are so many people in our country, in our church, who live in fear. Fear of change, fear of immigrants, fear of anyone from a different tribe, a different party, or a different way of thinking. We are constantly told to be afraid by our politicians, our media, our advertisers, and by the algorithms of social media. And when people are constantly afraid, they begin to look for the protection of a strong king, someone they think will protect them. And it's this fear that pulls us away from the values of the gospel, divides us into camps, and denies the existence of the common good of all people. And so we must somehow stop looking for politicians and rulers to rescue us and begin to identify once more with Jesus in today's gospel, standing before Pilate, proclaiming that our kingdom is not of this world. The feast of Christ the King ought to make us a bit uncomfortable. Not just because we're uncomfortable with this metaphor of the king, but because we're still too comfortable with our own power, our own privileged places in the hierarchies of the world. Part of our sinfulness is that as much as we say we dislike the idea of kingship, there's always that temptation to think, well, it might be okay if I was king. But the Christ, the king of these gospels, challenges that temptation. And instead we are asked, to follow the king that we see in the poor and rejected, the criminal who stands accused before Pilate for threatening the status quo, and most importantly, the king who died on the cross for us.